Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. My name is Ross LeCain. I've got a very special guest today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with Katrina Rowland. She's an industry legend, been in the business for the last 24 years. She's the managing director and principal of Mortgage Success. So many awards here, Katrina, you know. So the inaugural uh, Hall of Famer for AFG, the inaugural Top Broker of the Year, the inaugural um, number one in the MPA Top 100, um, you're still ranked in the top 10 brokers and the top 10 companies in AFG. Uh, in terms of women in business, you're a big advocate for women in business. You know, you've mentored, you mentioned 50 to 60 women. Um, you give to community and charity. So um, you know, there's so much good stuff going on um, and it's great to, to have you here. So I want to unpack this fantastic career that you've had and um, you know, give a lot of value to the brokers out there. So just tell me a little bit how you got started all those years ago. Look, it was a great time because I'd loved a career start in the corporate world. So I'd had the real basics of learning how to work with a team, how to manage credit, how to work credit. Uh, and it came to the stage where in my career at that stage, I was due to move up into management managing my own office, becoming a branch manager. Um, and then I made the mistake of falling pregnant, was supposedly, which was obviously a fantastic thing for me. But at that time, it wasn't a good career move and a worse career move when I did announce that it was twins. So when the next promotion came up, I idealistically still applied for the next promotion, which I was well in line for, had been screened for, prepared for, already doing the job for nearly 12 months, just waiting for the position to become official. And I was told politely that there's no way on earth I could possibly keep up with the career needs whilst I was to be a mother of twins. So they politely told me that next time after the kids and after I'm back and after I can actually cope, come back. At that particular time, my husband tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I've heard about this wonderful new industry. I think you could be really good at. So during that time of maternity leave, I headed straight into mortgage broking. So I started while I was on leave and the story is absolutely true. I started before I'd actually had the twins. I unexpectedly went five and a half weeks early and already by that catapulting into this industry that I was already loving within three or four months, I went in five and a half weeks early to have the girls. So I was seeing clients on the Friday. I went in the hospital unexpectedly on the Sunday morning and on the Monday, I'm ringing clients saying, I've got a really good reason why we may have to delay our appointment. And literally, it was four days later, I'm still seeing clients. So I actually started through a career change that <laughs> fell into, I couldn't understand why I couldn't have a life, a family, and still be great at my job. Uh, and the funny story is 12 months later, after the maternity leave finished, I was so entrenched into the career, loving it so much. Uh, they came back to me, offered me the position back, and I had to say, you can't afford me now. So I very politely said, thank you very much. Here's my resignation formally. And from there, we were just went full forward and loving every minute of it. 
Yeah, that's an amazing story. You know, I can't imagine, you know, being that, having clients, having twins, and then, you know, making the phone call the next day. That's a, just an amazing story. So in terms of what were some of the challenges that you faced early on in your career? Well, again, very early, look, we've got some hilarious stories about the children. It was, uh, some of it was emotional drama for me as a very, you know, new mother. I had my son who was already five, then I had twins, and I was launching a career that took a lot of personal time, nights, weekends, times when it was convenient for the clients to see me. So some of the challenges very early on was my emotional management of feeling like I wasn't doing the wrong thing by the family making sure that I could still be the best that I could be, but without challenging being the person I really wanted to be as a mother and wife. Um, so stories like, I remember there was a day when my girls were about two and a half and I was going out after dinner to go see a client. And it was, it was rewarding to understand at the end of the story, what they hear and what they understand with how you present it. So as I was leaving for the night, they saw me get my bag, get my computer, heading out the door, and there was tears and there was grabbing at my legs of, mummy, please don't go, please don't go. And I had to say, look, I'm not gonna be gone long. I'll be back, promise, won't be long. And they were still very upset. And I looked at my husband and I said, look, I just have to go and see this client. I won't be long. And the two girls said, oh, are you seeing a client? Oh, okay, well, when you come back, can you bring ice cream? They understood what I did if I was seeing a client, but if I was just going out, that was different but they understood the importance of a client meeting really young. So I learned very early in my career to explain to the children where I was going, why I was going. If it was an afternoon meeting, John would come with the girls. They'd play in the park while I saw the client. I'd come back, meet them. So very early, I integrated my life, my business, my clients with my priorities. So it was always a juggle, but every so often there were different balls in the air. But it, so very early, that was my biggest um, challenges was learning to manage and me being okay with it and not challenging myself emotionally with priorities. But to this day, I, you know, I'm very privileged. I've got a daughter that now works with me in the business. The family all understand what the career has done and what the business has done. So it actually now is part of all of our lives. There's no real separation or challenge in priority. Beautiful. So you is the, you mentioned your daughter's in the business. So was that one of the twins that you had when you started your career? Yes, it is. One of my gorgeous girls. So I have my twins, Emerald and Jade, and Emerald has joined the business and she's been working here for about 12 months now. Uh, she is completing her degree in uh, economics and she's already got a year's experience in the business. She's already got her Cert four and is just becoming accredited this very week. So it's a great, it's a great interview for me. It's a celebration year for me for a very successful. The other daughter has finished her degree and she's gone into fashion design. Uh, my son, Zach, was working in the business for time and he's doing really well. Uh, and then my stepdaughter, Caitlin, who's back living with us for a little while. And it's a really lovely, happy family feel. Um, but yes, very, very exciting to have Emerald in the business. Very exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, you've done all of this. You say so you've been in the top brokers, you're the sort of Hall of Famer. And now you're sort of creating that legacy, which is, you know, I draw a pyramid and I have, you know, the basics down the bottom, like credit policy and really understanding your market. But in the top of the pyramid is really that legacy. So it must feel great to get to that point in your career where 
you know, it's now coming true for me. These you know, babies that you had when you started your career, you're now sort of introducing. And obviously, they're, as you said to me prior to getting on air, they're becoming a force in their own right. It must be so special for you to see. It really is. And then add to that the ladies I've mentored and the gentlemen that I've mentored. So at the moment, I have a team of four stunning women and I've got an office manager as well. And I honestly believe it's the best team I've ever had in business. So that person is exciting for me. I can see their pride in their progress. I can see their satisfaction and contentment. And I can see how good they are. I'm getting the feedback from um, you know, peers in the business, uh, obviously lending partners. And I constantly ask, how can we do things better? And I get beautiful emails. I just got one yesterday saying, it's a pleasure and a privilege to work with our team. I love working with all of your team in your office. So for me, where I sit in the industry now, and then I see, I, I sat at a lunch yesterday and I met one of the ladies. It was a recent recipient of the scholarship, of Mortgage Success Scholarship. And I can see the growth and the confidence in her. And I'm seeing this spattered around every time I go to a function or an event. I love seeing the people that come and make a special note to come and say hello and mention where and how I may have helped or impacted or if I've made a difference, I love to hear that. I love to hear it. And that that inspires me. So that, you know, that legacy I hope is in industry as well as out of my home and my, my personal family, as well as my office, as well as my community. So I hope mm. I've made a difference. Definitely. And that's been huge for me in terms of because, you know, getting to the level of success that we both have sort of achieved, you get to that point where, you know, the financial rewards and the property and the, the the trail book and the income that is great, but in itself, it's not fulfilling, right? So what's really fulfilling is exactly what you're doing in terms of being able to give back. So it's those relationships and the things that you do for others that, you know, really give you that sense of fulfillment. It was a big motivation for me starting the billion dollar broker is because you know, there's a real need for the industry for people like yourself. And that's why I was excited to get you on the podcast today and talk to you because you've always been so generous in terms of giving. So I'd love you to sort of expand on your philosophy behind, you know, what you do, because you don't only just give to the industry, you give to charity, you, you know, you fight for, for the things you believe in. You've been a spokesperson for women um, in finance. You've created this scholarship that's been named after you in AFG. There's so many areas um, that you're actually giving um, back. So I want you to talk about your philosophy behind it and where it comes from. Look, I'm, I'm a great believer in trying to be the best person that you can possibly be. And it, being a woman back in a career very early on, there was terms that used to be like the glass ceiling. And it was someone else that would tell you what you could or couldn't achieve. And I found that very daunting because I, I just couldn't, well, for a start, I'm not exactly a wilting flower. So I couldn't hold someone else's idea of what I could or should or would do. So when I do the, the stuff that I do in the community and aiding, I never try to limit where I can have involvement. I'm a great believer in opportunity. I'm a great believer in, yes, I can do that, and creating your own boundaries. And, and somehow by that, they become limitless. And to try to destine where you're going to head, I think, is challenging. So part of the stuff I've been doing at the moment is working with the charity work. 
And in that, I've made some amazing friends. So as of yesterday, I've just become a director on a not-for-profit company. Wow, congratulations. It's it's so exciting. This one's really, you know, giving me a buzz. Because what it could be is something that could not only affect, you know, our local community, but Australia. It could be something that goes international and it could be an accolade that Australia has in a certain field. So I'm so excited. Now, that only came about because of my career where I offered scholarships and I offered sponsorships to different events that I believed in with integrity. And I followed the path that that took. The other thing I, I really love doing is like-minded people. You know, when you, when you contacted me, you and I have always been great friends. I love your philosophy. I love the way you are with things and your effort to always be the best. You, you never aim at anything less than not just getting the job done, but succeeding to the highest level that you possibly can. So being the best you can be. Mm. Um, and I love that. So for me, Chris Slater, fantastic mentor for me, fantastic friend. He was the one that came to me with the idea. The great guy, isn't he? Yeah. Great guy. Um, people like uh, Steve Kane in, in NAB, I've always been able to pick up the phone and say, Steve, I'm thinking about something. What do you think? Those contacts that I have, you know, and then it's throughout my career, Kathy Cummings, legend, love calling her a friend, inspirational, powerful, knowledgeable. I love the fact I can pick up the phone and say, hey, can we have a chat? Um, and that inspires me as well because it means then it allows me to look at other options. You know, I, I would love to get involved in more of the training and industry spokesperson, which is what I do a lot of and I offer myself freely to AFG for that. If I can add value, please let me. So I've never actually looked at, you know, a scope of what I would want to achieve. I've allowed opportunity, but I've made myself available. And as you said, generosity or just simply opportunity. If I can make a difference, then that's where I want to be. And, and I, just, I just make that known and it seems to lead to those opportunities and it makes very exciting times. Oh, definitely, definitely. And the second thing you picked up on and, you know, you've, you've mentioned to me a couple of times is that you've got that fantastic team and, and, you know, how important that is. And I know for myself, you know, you can't get to the levels where you've got to without those people around you and, you know, having those fantastic team members. And, um, you know, I think that's where a lot of brokers struggle is because they try to make it all about them and they don't, you know, get the team and empower the team and it's not you know just Katrina now it's the mortgage success team and um, we were talking prior to getting on about the reviews and you love hearing that but um, tell me a bit about your team and sort of you said that the best you've had and just about you know what you've created and the culture you've created at mortgage success. I think I agree with you. There's a lot of brokers that struggle as to know when to bring on support and then how to manage them and how to delegate and then how to let them grow and be the best they can be. Um, And I think that's something that's important that when you do that, you have to understand that it is a dynamic journey. So obviously through 23 years, I have had very different teams and there's been half teams. So you've had half of them leave, half of them move on and then brought in another half that maybe didn't quite gel so I've got a lot smarter in my, my process of hiring. So whenever I am ready to now hire somebody, um, I do a meet and greet first. So I try not to miss some of the gems in amongst the applications, but I know I'm time poor. So I don't want an hour interview with 25 people, but I can do 15 minutes with 25 people. 
So I just politely now, when I have really good set of resumes, I might have 10 and 20. And I'm doing this starting this afternoon and Monday because um, I'm hiring two more people. Um, I've got them where I just say, right, officially tell them to pop in. It is a 10 minute, 15 minute meet and greet. And then from there we pick out. So I can get that first feel of the integrity. It may not come across on paper, but when I meet someone, I can, I've got a really good um, feel straight away of energies and will they fit? Will they match? Where's the ego? How do they sit? How do they talk? Can they talk? What's the feel immediately? And then from there, I just pin it down and I probably do maybe three or four full interviews. But I found some of the best people by that first 15 minutes at the paper, I would probably would have thrown away. But when I thought, no, I'll give that opportunity. So by doing that, the team I'm choosing, I really want to be in the right culture. It has to be the person I can teach skills, but the attitude, the ability to talk, the honesty, the integrity, lack of ego, can't the egos just crash and I just can't handle egos someone that's just as willing to take out the trash as they are to do a two million dollar loan someone that's just as quick to do a twenty thousand dollar loan because they're a long-term 10-year client as a brand new one where you get accolades for it um, so I really work on that culture of people that are really in it for the right reason because of using that I've got smarter in my hiring process I've got smarter in letting people go comfortably uh, and that's been part of a real skill to make sure that the ones that are not fulfilling that future are the ones that are there that serve. How important is that, right? And I think that's another thing in yes. the history of time that you hold on to those people that you know just aren't going to fit and aren't going to make it. And it's making those tough decisions and doing it early, I think, is huge. I agree with you. And by doing that now, I think I've got the cream of the crop. Mm. I've got people that everybody picks up the phone to the client there's no, that's your client, that's mine. Uh, everyone is very willing to interact with each other and share successes and failures. And I think that's the skill of building a team that they now interact. And sometimes sharing the failures is the most important of what not to do because this is where I got caught out. Make sure you don't do this because I didn't realise that would happen with that lender. Be aware that lender does A, B or C. Uh, and that sharing, I, I find them very open and there's no fear of failure they talk and want everyone to be successful. The other thing that I really think is important is to celebrate it. Mm. So, you know, that's something we haven't had a chance to do since March to now. So this year's a bit of a dud end of year, for, you know, Christmas parties and that sort of thing. But I do have a planned, I tried to do it in March, two weeks into COVID, was all booked and planned. We were having our first mortgage success specific conference. Mm. And had to cancel. It was all booked, paid for and everything. So I had to cancel it. Plan is hopefully March, if not March, and things are still not right, October, just to show a real appreciation of what they do and how they represent the name of mortgage success and how in turn they represent me, but also how they represent themselves. And, and I really want to pay accolade to that. Yeah, so that's journey, And I'm getting smarter at it. It's a learning. I never think I know it all because I never will. And I think once you think you know it all, it's the beginning of the end. Yeah. But I'm, I'm enjoying that now. So I'm having more fun now than I thought I would have 23 years in the career. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really, really important in terms of a couple of things that you said. I think gut feel for an employee hire is massive. And um, 
it wasn't until I watched that Simon Sinek video and he said, you know, the, the, the decision make part of the brain is not, you know, verbal that I'm like, oh, okay, that's exactly why, you know, we make these gut decisions around hiring staff. And um, I think the making it okay to fail mm. was another thing that I picked up from, from what you're saying. I think, you know, and that's a culture thing, right? That comes down from the top because, you know, there, there's, you know, a lot of those sort of seagull managers that sort of, as you know, shit on them as soon as there's something done, you know, not correct. But this is a sort of a learning. We either sort of win or we learn. And uh, I think having that culture in your business and really promotes what you're saying in terms of that fantastic teamwork. I think that's a, you know, a lesson for a lot of people in terms of how do you build that as one of your core values in your business that, hey, and I know Todd Duncan, who I've you know, followed for many years, he's a big one of failing forward. And, um, and we always sort of you know, took that in terms of our business as well. So, you know, really, really um, key thing. So just let's break down your team members in terms of, you know, what are the functions and what do you think the key roles that a lot of brokers miss in a, in a mortgage business are? Well, I think one of the most important positions is my receptionist or my office manager. That very first feel of how a client feels when they ring in and the professionalism from the very first phone call the immediate attention to, I can start helping you already. So my receptionist isn't a expensive answering machine. She is a lady who knows so much about the processes. She knows what happens next. She knows about the loading. She knows about the documentation. She knows the process of lending. She meets all the BDMs. So she's as involved in the team. So when she's starting a very first client meeting, she is immediately, when a client rings in, she'll say, great, I'll put you through to a client manager for sure. But in the meantime, can I get your email, your telephone number? And what I'll do is I'll be prepared to send some information out to you so we're ready to go straight away after your conversation. So that conversation is already, wow, we're ready to go. Oh, okay, now I talk to someone. But that lovely confidence of I'm already here to help you and I'm already a step ahead, you have a chat now to the client manager and I'll confirm what happens next. Lovely to speak to you. I'm sure we'll speak again. And that's warm already, the difference mm. of how the client feels from the very beginning, knowing they're mm. going to be supported and managed. Um, it also creates a line of people that that client can immediately talk to feeling comfortable any time they ring in. They're going to mm. be comfortable to talk to Corinne on the front desk because they already feel like they know her. They know she cares and she's already on the ball. They'll talk to the client manager. They'll talk to me. So the first part of the real warm, knowledgeable welcoming and immediate professionalism of we're helping you from day one from what first phone call to then handing on to a client manager who will immediately have a full detailed conversation we have templates already prepared in our office so each person as they speak to a client immediately starts a template of notes of that role first one is a client contact form take that as the information is gleaned from the first two minute conversation that's handed to the client manager as they then pick it up. They then have a client detail form that they'll fill in the little commentary that's picked up. So immediately that information flows through and those file templates become the essence. From the very beginning, a client isn't saying the same thing three times. What they've said has been noted, recorded and remembered from the minute they call. So the client manager then takes through the process of the contact information, encouraging a reply of all the documentation you request. So we request client information form, full documentation up front prior to or at the interview. So Beautiful. 
ideally and a lot of people struggle with that as well right they're like oh i can't possibly ask the client for all this information prior to the appointment it works it works so and and i you know we call it katrina speak i tell the girls how to say it so in order for me to have an accurate efficient assessment process with you if i can have this information i can do all the pre-work I can do my investigation. I can do my responsible for your best outcome work. And we start using those words in the very first conversation. My job is to work for you for the best outcome. So if I can have this paperwork, it lets me do a better job for you. And that way our interview, when we talk, we're actually accurate. I can give you some guides and we can sit down and have that fuller conversation accurately. Clients never have a problem because it's all for them. It's so they get a better outcome. Exactly. And that's, and that's what I, my, the question that I ask a lot of my clients and people that I'm speaking with is if you have all that information up front, you know, can you provide a better outcome and submit their loan more quickly than getting the, okay. All right. So the best outcome for a customer is to do it then. Right. And again, in terms of it is all about customer outcomes, but there's a lot of fear from, you know, which is fear of them losing it for themselves. I won't, I'll lose the client, you know, which is their fear, which isn't based on, you know, what you're saying, which is what is the best outcome for the customer? That's right. And also too, it's a, it's a great business model because if the client can't be bothered to start gathering paperwork, then you could be faced with a client that's not really ready to make a decision. So if they're prepared to put the whole uh, work collaborative, very collaborative approach, we explain to the client why we need the paperwork, what it's going to help us assess, what it's going to help us do, and why it's for their better outcome. So for me, if a client's not prepared to get all the paperwork required up front, they're probably either not really ready or not really committed to making a decision. So if that's the case, we'll still have the conversation. And when you're ready to get the paperwork, we'd love to help you. Obviously, you know where we are. I'll call you in three months and see how you're going. So we still have that real warm end, but we haven't wasted non-productive time that maybe another client may need. So I, I find it effective for that. And, and also to the preparation to be able to do what's right, templates of pricings, policy you know, details. There is so much into it. And if you start documenting at the very front, that documentation process means I have to be safer under compliance. I have to be safer under bid because from the very first phone call, I've got documentation commenced. And if that's inculcated into everyone, you don't talk to a client without a pen and a template on your desk, handwritten notes every time, then the beautiful emails, fine. But those handwritten notes to me are gold to prove best interest outcome, education of the client, conversations, investigation, interrogation, if you need to, it proves that was done before a recommendation was made. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's all about the safety and the compliance as well. Um, but the, the client managers, and that's why all the four of them are being accredited, as in just been accredited by AFG this week, just about to go through lender accreditation because I'm in the process of restructuring and remodelling my business, that whole dynamic approach. Everything changes all the time, mm -hmm. and that's good. Um, so with them doing that, they're now in the stage where they can do the full recommendation I still do the interview with the clients and review them, make sure I'm happy with the recommendations and then I present it or correct it or ask extra questions. And at the end of the day, once that agreement is made, it goes back to that client manager and they can finish the processing. Beautiful. I love it. So they, they, 
So you've got a fully trained receptionist. So yes. who, who trains the receptionist? Everyone in my business starts in reception. Even if you are a cert for bank manager who comes and works with me, you will spend your first one, two or three months, however long I feel it's needed, you will start there. So the receptionist trained in reception and then we all kind of trained her back. And again, it's constant. Everything changes. So as things changes, I go back and say, hey, Corinne, this has just changed. What I need you to make sure of is our templates are modified or we now need to make sure this question is asked up front. So we're constantly very collaborative. We all talk every, at least once a week, there will be something that happens that I call out. Everyone in the boardroom, we all jump in the boardroom and at the time a matter happens, we have a chat about it because it's current, it's understandable, it's applicable. Everyone understands how a matter has come to light and what the next reaction is. So they all immediately see a real live example and go, right, okay, remember that. Yeah. So that's constantly. So the receptionist for us is trained very much by compliance templates. This is how we do it. The mortgage success way, Katrina speak. Mm -hmm. And then we also have everyone collaborative with feedback constantly of what's changing to each other. Yeah, beautiful. I can, yeah, I'm starting to get the picture and the, the feeling why you've got such a great team because it's that collaborative approach. It's that open communication. It's the failing forward. It's the training. It's, you know, you're, you're, you've got the time to work on the dollar productive activities because these guys are doing, you know, what I call the five P's of preparation in terms of your, your provisional servicing, your pricing, your, your looking at your policy and doing a lot of those things up front. Um, so when you, and providing you a sort of preliminary recommendation, so when you're sitting down with them, it's just your time is really valuable focusing on the client and what their needs are. You don't have to worry about all that other stuff, which keeps the emotion high in the appointment, which keeps, and everyone knows people, you know, buy and commit emotionally. Um, so you can do that. And it, it, it sounds like it's working, working a treat. So in terms of have you, obviously you've, you know, you've failed forward and you, you've made, what are some of the biggest sort of learnings that you've had along the way in terms of that have really, you know, helped you go from here to sort of there or saved you a lot of time or, or uh, you know, just made your lifestyle better than what it is from a business perspective? I think one of the most important things for me is working with people I like and trust. And that includes credit managers, lenders. I love the fact that I have made the relationships through trust, integrity, history, experience, that if there is a matter that I know is a deal, but on paper it's not, I love the fact that I know who I can pick up the phone to and say, how do we prepare this in the manner that it becomes acceptable? Because it's a good deal, a good client. How do you want to see it? And what will let it fall on the right side of the line? So for me, one of the most important things is people I like and trust and the contacts of people that I have access to which comes with experience, but it's also part of the privilege I have now of I'm the leader of my business and I love that. The biggest um, benefit my team have now is I'm creating those links to important people that work with you and want to work with you and who will support you. And that's, I, I think that's key for me. I love it. Um, one of the other things also is be smarter in my team. If there is a kink in the armour, 
the old, you know, one bad apple spoils a barrel. I need to be aware that if I start to hear commentary, conversations, then I need to stop it. Immediately I hear it. I can't let negative attitudes pervade. Um, so, for example, for a little while here, we, we had a situation where there was a couple in the office that would go into an office, would shut the door, and there would be whisperings. Well, no one likes that in an office. It obviously, so even myself as the owner of the business who had nothing to worry about, I'd see the door shut, I'd hear the whispering, and then I'd walk in thinking, were they talking about me? And it was, it was, it was horrible. I didn't jump on it fast enough. It did lead to two staff members leaving because it wasn't good for the office. I should have shut that down way earlier. So now it's things that I see. If it's not in the culture, I have to say out loud, that's not happening. So we, yeah. um, I went to a um, function that I'm on the board for, and one of the speakers spoke of a triangle in an office. So she said a triangle is always should always be in the office. So if you want to talk to that person about that person, be aware that the person you're talking about is also got to be in the conversation. So if you have an issue with someone, you may want, so for example, one has an issue with an employee, they talk to me about it, we then both have that conversation with the third person. And that makes it open, transparent, it removes any emotion out of it, it brings it back to a professional conversation. And quite usually that openness makes you realise it wasn't really what you thought it was. So like I say, for me, it's a case of transparency, openness, be honest with each other, I often say to my team, is there something I could be doing better to support you? Is there something I should change? Is there something in the office? Do you not like where the kitchen is? It's the basics. It's everything. Is there something I could be doing better to make you like working here more or make the job easier, better, more fun, enjoyable? And then I then can move it around the room. Well, what about you? Is there anything that we think you could be doing better? So they're not afraid to look in. So I think that thing for me, the culture is paramount. Mm. I also think the constant moving forward, you've got to continually be going, right, that's really working well. What's going to happen next? So you have to have that forethinking. That also demands industry conversation. So mm. don't be afraid. I, I constantly have uh, meetings with some of my favourite real estate agents in town. And the purpose of the coffee is I just want to see what you're seeing happening in the market. What are you noticing about your buyers? Who's buying, who's not? I have a coffee with a local valuer. What are you seeing happening? I love my BDMs. What are you noticing about credit? What's their appetite? What has changed their comfort? Those wonderful words. Um, so I love those conversations. So tell me what's happening now. What's changing? What are we watching for? What are you- I, I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, from all you've said in terms of, you know, you, you're meeting and you're networking with those people that you've got the right to in, in the banks and the, the credit providers. You know, networking with your real estate agents, networking um, and being curious, even at the lunches and things that you've been to. And a lot of people will see networking and they confuse it for, oh, I'm going to put my hand out and I'm going to go and get business. And that's what networking is. But, you know, your definition of networking is the one that I like, right? Because you're not networking to get business, you're networking to do business. Correct. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference in terms of networking to get business and networking to do business, right? And so networking 
um, is around all of those things, right? It's speaking to those individuals in different areas. It's speaking to the heads of banks, guys like, you know, you mentioned, you know, Chris uh, Slater, you mentioned Kathy Cummings, because all of these guys are leaders that can give you so much value for your business to make it easier for you to do the business. So I think, you know, that is a fantastic point in terms of, you know, from what you've been just talking about. Definitely. So what I like to finish on is, um, you know, a tip for sort of brokers sort of coming into the industry in terms of knowing what you know now with your 24 plus years of experience. Um, what is, you know, what is a pearl of wisdom that you would give to a new entrant looking to sort of grow and scale their business? Look, I've got a, a title of a book I will write one day. Mm. And the title of it is, tell me again why I can't do what I just did. So for me, I like people not to challenge by standards or rules, but to challenge by what they honestly believe they can make a difference in. So if you believe in a client, if you believe in a deal, if you believe in, in an industry issue, you have to stand up and be counted. You can't be someone that allows wrong results. So my tip is take the challenge on, be the best you can be. And if it does involve asking for advice of how to get the right outcome, continue asking until, and it runs right into the best interest duty. I love being able to tell a client that I don't believe anybody else could have got a better result than what I just did. I have taken it to the highest possible uh, authority that I could. And I have done as much research as I possibly can. And this is the premium solution that I can provide to you. And that I view as my life respect, respect for myself, respect for clients. If I am honestly doing the best that I can, then I honestly believe I'm successful. It's not targeted by I wrote $2 million worth of business or I wrote $100 million worth of business. That's not the target. I go home at night and I think back about my day and I think, was there something I could have done better? And I love going home thinking, you know what? I couldn't have done this better. I tried here. I tried that. Not always successful, but I can sit back and go, I actually did my best and I've had a good day. So, yeah. And that's, you know, that's really important too, because, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. If you just focus on yourself, stay in your own lane, so realize what you're doing better. What are the things that um, you've done really, really well? And what are some of the things that we can, we can learn to, to make us better, which is part of life's beauty and part of the challenge in terms of, and especially in an industry where you and I have been a part of for, for many, many years, that's one of the great things that no day is ever the same. And there's, you know, something is continually changing and, you know, really to grow a business you've got to continually reinvent yourself every year. And I love how you do it on a weekly basis, right? In terms of it's just those little one percenters and um, you're still sort of working on, on getting the best team and you're sort of, you're getting there. So, I mean, it's been a great to chat to you. I've taken so much away from it and uh, really excited to have the opportunity. Um, so thanks, Katrina. Ross, it's been a pleasure and I love catching up with you anytime. All right, for sure. Thanks, guys. This has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. 
Uh, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We also have a Facebook group, The Billion Dollar Broker, which we share resources and with the aim of really raising this industry to the next level. So I'll talk to you next time.